This is the MLW Radio Network. Hello. Are we good now? Can you hear me? Oh, I can. I can hear you. All right, you are live and in living color, my friend. Oh, I feel like I'm black and white still. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it is so good to hear your voice. Welcome back, my friend. Oh, thank you, man. So, before we go any further. Give everyone an update, and you've given everybody an update so far with how things have been going, but uh, an update on how you're feeling, what's going on, what's new, and uh, when is Jerry Lynn going to be back at it? Well, this is the, what is it, second day after surgery, mm-hmm. so I, I'm, I'm, I'm still pretty tender. It still hurts quite a bit, but that's to be expected, but at least I have uh, most of the feeling back in my foot, and I don't have the constant shooting down my leg, and... Uh, my calf and my shin, so so it's good. So when I, when I woke up in recovery, the surgeon was there and he said it was a success. So I was like, great, nice. Yeah. So so basically, you're not going to be Wilford Brimley anymore with uh, with the symptoms of diabetes, are you? I hope not. <laughs> don't don't curse me. That'll be next. <laughs> The last four weeks have been pretty rough. <laughs> I was in a severe amount of pain. It was the worst pain I've ever felt in my life. Wow. But uh, Well, you and I had several conversations, and I, I mean, I felt so bad. I could hear the pain in your voice. You're like, I can't get comfortable. No. Um, I, I even asked you, I said, which way can you sit down? And you even said, sometimes walking and standing up is, is really the most comfortable I can be. Yeah. And it's like, oh my God, how do you even get sleep when you have something like an issue? Like oh, that? I was only sleeping like two, three hours at a time. That's it. Oh, my God. And then, you know, the first couple of weeks, I was using the walker to get around. So it was it was rough. So, so not to obviously get too private into your situation, but what was the specific situation? It was your... It was... Was it your L, L4, L5? Yes. Yep. Okay. And, of course, it couldn't be a normal one. He said, normally it bulges straight out the back. He says, this is very rare. He says, yours is bulging out the side. It's through, like, a smaller opening or something. I'm like, great. It couldn't be a, a normal one. But, wow. So, but we got it all fixed. Well, yeah. you're, you're, you're better than ever. And uh, you know that the, the final step in rehabilitation is, you, I, I even told you this, you're going to have to do a, a tope suicida. <laughs> really? <laughs> I'm tell- I, that is my favorite phrase. I put that on social media and I feel like when I'm ever watching Excalibur, who... I love listening to him. I think AEW's got a great announcing team, but I love Excalibur. They do. If I had to count how many times a tope suicida happens, I mean, they need to have a shirt. They have a, a little bit of bubbly. You need to have a tope suicida shirt, and you need to have Excalibur's face on it, because I'm telling you right now, I will literally come out of shower, and I will yell, tope suicida. And Megan has no concept of what the hell I'm saying, does she, but it's just fun to say it. Does she run for cover? <laughs> I tell you what, the lights went out one time. Okay, I'm going to get a little private here. Lights went out one time, and uh, I gave her a kiss, and she said, "Oh, she goes, you want to cuddle?" I said, "How about I give you a tope suicida?" And she, oh yeah, she you turned it, somehow. You turned it into a lights out match, didn't you? I did turn it into. A, I had my own lights out match right there, <laughs> no. man. But I will leave it. Oh, at you know that. what? One of my favorites is when the Japanese commentators will be going crazy near the end of a match and all the kickouts and. The, and one of them yelled, Brain Basta! <laughs> I always loved that. It's, it's been a little while. You want to you wanna do the thing, Jer? 
Oh, I guess. Should we um, do an opening? I think that sounds quite <laughs> fitting. <laughs> All right. Welcome to Front Row Material. My name is Mike Freeland. I am typically joined by ECW legends Mr. Jerry Lynn and Mr. Mikey Whipwreck. As we stay oh, at cut, the- cut, cut, stop, stop. I thought um, that was actually really good. It was, but I wanted to, you know, kind of fill in for Mikey. It just doesn't seem the same. <laughs> oh, <know? laughs> well, that works as well. That Gotta works represent. as well. We're, we're, that's right. Uh, like I said at the top, Mikey is uh, is a little jet-lagged from his time at WrestleCade, so he'll be back in the studio with us next week. But, um, Jerry, a lot has been going on in wrestling since we last got to sit down and talk, and the world is buzzing about a lot of different topics, so i got a myriad of things I'd like to go over with you this week and, and kind of get your hot take on them. How does that sound? Sounds great. Now, before we get started, I do want to let you know that Front Row Material is brought to you by BlueChew.com. Remember, guys, if you enjoy having a good time in the bedroom, like everyone, go on over to BlueChew.com, fill out a few simple, easy questions. You don't have to worry about any awkward doctor visits or any phone calls or any face-to-face consultations. It's all done online. And your first order is free when you use promo code ECW. That's right. Your first order is free. All you have to do is pay the $5 for shipping and handling. Remember, chew it and do it. Mikey Whipwreck is not going to be joining us this week, folks. He is uh, recovering from his fun times that he had at WrestleCade this past weekend. And everybody who had a chance to go to Winston-Salem, I hope you guys had a great time there. Saw a lot of pictures and messages um, from people on Twitter and Facebook that uh, a lot of people had a great time. And, you know, I know you would have wanted to be there if you hadn't have had this medical situation. But um, WrestleCade really has has really grown, and it's a big deal. It's one of the biggest things as far as conventions out there in wrestling for fans. Yeah, uh, from what I saw in the pictures on the Twitter, it looked like they had a really good house for their super show, too. Oh, man. So the first thing I want to kind of get to you here is I wanted to get your take on this because a lot of people have been hitting me up and and asking me questions. And some people are on one side of the fence. Some people are on the other. It seems like there's definitely a line drawn in the sand. What do you feel about when people use the phrase Wednesday Night Wars? What's your take on that? Do you feel like that is something that exists or do you feel like that's predominantly something that is generated and driven by the fans? Oh, well, you know, what, what it, it used to be called the Monday Night Wars, right? It did. It used to be called the Monday Night Wars. You're right. Yeah. So, I don't know. I guess it's just, I guess it's just adopted the same principle and turned it into the Wednesday Night Wars. From your perspective, do any of the guys within AEW talk about, you know, as far as what's going on in the world of wrestling outside of AEW, or does everybody pretty much seem to be just kind of locked and loaded on what they're doing? I don't Well... That's hard to say because the nights of TV, or you know, you're at the building uh, quite a bit of the day, but it's just crazy when you're getting everything ready for live TV that you really don't have much time to just sit around and talk about, you know, other companies or anything like that. Well, that kind of brings me to an interesting point here. I've had some people hit me up on social media and they've asked, what exactly, and I think we might have touched upon this just a little bit in one of our prior episodes, but. When it comes to working behind the scenes, Jerry, and I know you said, you know, sometimes your days start very early and obviously they go throughout the course of a show. But what what are some things that happen as far as being uh, an agent for a match? 
Um, and I know you've mentioned before you, you've aged in some of the, the, the big matches that we've seen so far in AEW. What is that like? And what is that process when it comes to putting the match together? Or what are some of your expectations for the guys that you're working with when it comes to a match? Well, I don't want to give away everything, even though the curtain's been pulled back. But, sure. you know, a lot of it is, uh, you know, letting the guys know how much time they have if they've got a commercial break in the middle of their match. And also now, is it uh, is it picture in picture? Is it, you know, that? And I got to, you know, I want to know if they're going to be doing any death-defying stuff so I can give the director a heads up. Okay, we got to watch out for this coming up. And so the camera guys can get the best angle as possible of it. So there's a lot of little different things that goes on. Do you feel like for people who obviously who haven't, maybe done this uh, it's definitely a process when it comes to being an agent for a match there's a lot more to it and it takes a lot of time to learn that specific position would you agree um it just depends on the person if you've if you're doing tvs regularly every week it shouldn't take as long if you've got the same thing being drilled into your head every week you did this wrong do this <laughs> you know right so if you've got someone you know telling you okay guys you got to work on this and you telling them every week it should sink in pretty quickly the former wcw announcer who will remain nameless i'm not sure if you caught this news story but they had reported the john moxley um kenny omega match to i guess the maryland athletic commission had you heard this story no yeah so there was a uh, someone who reported it and it was just very very interesting that story kind of hit all over when it came to the social media grounds with the Twitter and Facebook. And I didn't know if it, it had made its way to you, if you had heard anything about that or no, but I mean, usually if you're in a commission state, they usually have a representative there the whole show, I would imagine. So I don't know what good calling the commission and reporting us would do any different than what the representative saw there that night. Unless he left. I don't know. Yeah. I just thought it was really, really interesting. Um, you know, Forbes has picked this story up. A lot of other places have picked this up. And I guess it just kind of surprised me, especially this day and age when it comes to the performance in itself. Um, what beef an athletic commission would have or I mean, they're clued in on it. That's a show as well. Correct. Oh, yeah, they know. But, you know, there certain there's certain commissions that are a little are more a lot more strict than others, like in uh, Missouri. Uh, Louisiana, I think they still have pretty strict commissions also, but because um, in those uh, the wrestlers I forget which one, one is every six months, and the other is once a year where you have to get blood work and get tested for HIV or hepatitis B and C and then also you have to get a physical, you have to get an EKG I mean, you gotta go through all this stuff just to have a license to wrestle in those states let alone run a show, I don't I can imagine what you got to go through to get a promoter's license to be able to just run a show in those states. Well, it was interesting because Francine, a friend of the show, had mentioned before she was wanting to do a show. And it was a charity show she wanted to do. And she was saying just to do that was so many hoops to jump through and so many licenses and legalized, you know, making sure you got this covered, you got that covered. There's so much to just get it on the books, much less even having the talent ready. I mean, there's so much work that goes into putting a show together. I think the average fan doesn't even have a clue. Well, no, no, there, there is a lot. And even there's three times 
I've thought about running a show, and not even in a commissioned state. But you don't even get halfway done with the list of things you got to get done and take care of. And I'm just like, nope, forget it. <laughs> so, and you have to have a small army of people you can depend on, too. Yeah. Um, it just seems like there's so many things that, that happen that the average wrestling fan, they see the final product, but they don't see all the legwork that goes into making it happen. I mean, not only from putting the show together, but just being able to get the venue, you know, to get uh, – the commission to sign off on it. So the story here was the Maryland State Athletic Commission reportedly investigating uh, the Lights Out John Moxley versus Kenny Omega match that took place at Full Gear on November the 9th. Um, so what, does someone from the outside just happen to call the commission and well say something or what? Yeah, so former WCW announcer who I will keep their name nameless um, basically said that he believed there was a rule about blading and allowing matches to continue if a performer is bleeding either intentionally or unintentionally, and if there was a commissioned doctor at the show. Now, this is all being reported by the Wrestling Observer, uh, Dave Meltzer. So, after repeated requests, this individual is told that the commission prohibits wrestlers from deliberately lacerating themselves or their opponents or introducing human or animal blood into a match. The commission also stated that they were at full gear and that they had a doctor assigned to the show. They also stated that they were conducting a formal investigation into the match itself because, um, obviously, there was a complaint that was made, but they were unable to comment at this time. So so this former WCW person, they don't work for AEW, do they? That is correct. They do not. So here you go. It's just people trying to kibosh another company, which is ridiculous. It's petty, and it just reeks of desperation. Because I've run into this type of thing all, all, all over the indies. You'll have two different companies running the same town. And I couldn't tell you how many times I've had promoters tell me, yeah, this other company's trying to sabotage our show and tearing down our posters and blah, blah, blah. And I just I always tell them the same thing. I say, don't worry about your competition. All you got to do is run a better show. That's all you got to do. Let, let me ask you this. When it comes to the whole blading and whatnot, I mean, throwing it back and, and drawing some connections to ECW, I mean... Blading was a very common practice. Would you agree? Hmm. <laughs> Sometimes I swear everyone was getting busted open hard way. Well, right, was, that you really was, didn't need to. I was just about to say, well, okay, let, let me rephrase that. Bleeding was, could be seen sometimes as a common thing in ECW shows. Oh, yeah. So I guess my point is, though, were people giving Paul, or had you ever heard any scuttlebutt about the blood or any of that kind of stuff back in the day? Or was that something that was, was Paul kind of kept away from the talent and he just kind of handled on his own? I don't know. I think he may have just handled it on his own. I don't know. Just like you said before, it just... Well, it's just someone just trying to kibosh another company. That's all it is. Which is sad. Because, and even when you hear uh, other wrestlers and stuff, it almost sounds like they wish this company would fail. And it, it, it just it just dumbfounds me because it was the first time in 20 years that the boys had bargaining leverage with their contracts and getting deals done. A lot of us are friends with people in other companies, too. Right. That we've known. I mean, there's guys I've known for over 20 years. I've wrestled them 20 years ago. And when I hear what they're saying come out of their mouth, I'd like to call them up and say, do you really want to see me out of a job so I can't take care of my family? Yeah. That's what I'd like to ask them. Because it's ridiculous. And everyone should know by now, not the green guys maybe, but the guys who've been around a while, that competition is great for business. 
No, it definitely gives people, like you said before, leverage. It, it gives the power back to the the stars because at that point in time, when contracts come up, they can obviously you know have a little bit more of a bargaining chip when it comes to that. And it just makes competition and it makes things exciting. And I think when a lot of people seem to want to quash that, it, it, it reeks of sour grapes. And this is just my opinion. And maybe it comes from people who maybe aren't in the industry, who wish they were still in the industry, or who aren't maybe relevant, who would like to still be relevant. So I don't know, but um, I'm with you on that one. So I don't think this is really going to go anywhere because I firmly believe that everything that is done is meticulously thought out and safety is always taken into consideration. And uh, yeah, the, the old phrase that we've heard, a nothing burger, I think that's exactly what this is. I hope so. It shouldn't go any farther because the show is already done. It's done and over with. What are you going to do about it? Um, wanted to get your your take on this. Obviously, this has happened um, on numerous occasions now, but it, it recently has sparked someone to actually resign from a position. Um, I know that you have you've had some interactions um, with, with Jim Cornette. and the only reason I wanted to bring this up really quick was because obviously, you know, there's been a lot of there's been a lot of buzz online about this day and age, whether people are too sensitive or if the fact that maybe some people may be using phrases or making choices with what they say that might have been appropriate 20, 30, 40 years ago but might not be appropriate today. Do you find that the culture has changed a lot of ways that maybe when you first broke in, things that might be said or done are kind of taboo now? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, there and, you know, and it, it's not just affected the wrestling business. I think it's <laughs> one of the businesses I think it's greatly affected is the comedy business. You can't go out and tell jokes like they did years ago anymore. Well, and, and I just wonder this because, you know, I'm not defending one side or another. I'm just being kind of impartial. I think that there might not necessarily be any malice involved, but I just think that you, especially this day and age, you just have to be careful. you got to be careful what to say. And because it seems like nowadays everybody can take something someone says and either take it out of context or they can run with it and say, you know, I, I feel like that might have been a little offensive. Do you think in a lot of ways society has become too sensitive if there's if that's such a phrase? Yes. You know, growing up, there's always a saying sticks and stones may break my bones, you know. Right. But uh, you, you can't let what complete strangers say affect you and just you know and ruin your whole day or week or month or whatever or make you that angry that it's going to stress you out the rest of your life or you're going to run around saying you got ptsd because of what someone said it's like you got to toughen up the world you know one thing i always said growing up to my mom when i get in trouble would be that's not fair and my mom would always tell me the world's not fair and so you're you know you can't let what someone says ruin your whole mood and everything. There's always going to be mean people out there and you're never going to change that. No, you can't. And I just find it to be very interesting that, you know, we're seeing a rise in wrestling all over. Different promotions are really starting to come to the forefront and you just, uh, I guess it's, it's six in one hand, half a dozen in the other. You know, right. some people are going to say what they want to say. It's, it's your choice to determine how you want to respond to that. Right. And, I mean, I've learned the hard way a few times. I don't know if I told you guys the story yet, but I was at an indie show, and they wanted me to be a heel. Mm -hmm. and, and so 
when my opponent came out, I grabbed the mic and I started cutting a promo and I, I, and I'm going to use the word, but I don't, I, just for the sake of conversation. But I said, I don't know why all you retards are cheering this guy. And it was crickets. I couldn't even get a reaction out of the crowd. And when I got back after my match, promoters said that every show they bring a whole busload of handicapped children. And I felt so terrible. I felt so, I just wanted to shrink up and disappear off the face of the earth. But, uh, you know, years and years and years ago, you could have probably got away with that. But then, and this was probably what, uh, 15 years ago, 10 years ago. But I felt mm-hmm. so terrible. So, you, you know, you have to really be careful about what words you choose to use. And, you know, I learned, I learned that lesson the hard way. And it, and it was terrible. I felt horrible. Well, I mean, it's so interesting because not only with with the comments with um, NWA Power, which obviously some comments that Jim had made had gotten edited out, and they released a statement, and, and Jim obviously is, is no longer with them, which obviously was, was his choice. Um, I think he's a talented person when it comes to wrestling. It just always brings up the, the debate of what is too sensitive and what is hey listen this is some form of entertainment and that you just got to roll with it would you would you agree that the wrestling business there is a very healthy dose of ribbing that is not always if ever really intended to be personal um years ago there was nowadays i don't think it is as much just because the way the climate has changed you know so and i'm guilty of that years ago too the boys would i mean <laughs> the ribbing and stuff was you know real stiff it was it wasn't uh light a lot of times and so yeah it's definitely changed and there's you know there and i like i said i've learned the hard way a few times and there there are certain things i said years ago i wouldn't even dare say now right and it was only in harmless fun you know amongst the boys and stuff well and that's that's the other point i'm trying to make here it was never intended to be malicious no, it was intended no. to be a ha-ha, but unfortunately, once again, you have to keep in mind what day and age we're in now, right. and that not everyone will take that as a ha-ha. They may take it as, oh, wow, that was that was personal. Exactly. All right, so obviously this past weekend was a big deal with, obviously, WrestleCade, and there was a comment that was made, and I just want to get your take on this one because, and I'm going to paraphrase this, but... Um, the Sandman had made a comment about women main eventing uh, wrestling matches or wrestling shows, and he was not a fan of that. And obviously a lot of people had sounded off on social media. Uh, Will Ospreay had mentioned some stuff. Chris Jericho said some stuff. Jordan Grace had said some stuff as well. So I guess this kind of also ties into what we were talking about before with just the simple fact of sometimes you have to learn to move on with the times. And women's wrestling is huge right now. And a lot of times women are doing some amazing things that even the guys aren't even doing. Where do you think maybe that kind of comes from? Do you think it's kind of that old school mentality? Or do you think that it's just maybe this person just isn't as up with what the new trend is? I I couldn't tell you where that came from. It's, you know, each individual person is different and has their own views. Me, I'm, it doesn't bother me. I mean, if you're busting your butt and getting the people to buy a ticket and you've built yourself up to your where your you know main event status and the promoter wants to put you on the main event well have at it I mean, years ago you know my favorites was like sherry martell and luna vachon 
and they were tough, you know, and they, I mean, those, those two, I think they kick a lot of guys, butts, you know, if, if they were in a bar somewhere or something, but, <laughs> and also when I was in the USWA way back in the day, and they had at the time, Miss Texas, which was Jackie and dirty white girl fighting around the loop. And when I watched those two in the ring, oh my gosh, they, they, it, they did make some of the guys look bad. So, and I, I enjoyed watching them. I always made sure I watched them when they were out there. I'd be peeking through the curtain, and it was incredible. So it, I have no problem with it. There's a lot of talented women wrestlers out there. It, it never really even registered with me because at the end of the day, good wrestling is good wrestling. Right. And I think that, once again, it, it might be a, a belief that what used to be, you know, 20, 30 years ago, where someone believes that this is the way things are done, but things change, things evolve. And, you know, there's new talent that's being discovered every day. And like you said before, if somebody can be put out there and fans want to come and see them perform, it doesn't it doesn't matter who they are. As long as people want to come out and see them and support them, then I think they should have just as every right as anybody else on the card. Exactly. Got a couple of questions here. People had asked me on social media to pose for Jerry. And uh, I wanted to ask you this question, Jerry. It was, uh, what was your favorite city to work in? Oh, gosh. Is there, a, is there such a thing as a favorite city, or is it just one of those things where they all kind of start blending together? No, it's wherever you have a really, consistently have a really hot crowd that are really into it. Because Chicago was always like that. Philly was always like that. Um, trying to think. New York, uh, Pittsburgh. I'm trying to think where else. I mean, there, you know, there's so many cities where the fans have always been great. So you re- I can't really just pick one. And even overseas in England, the fans were always great, you know. Um, so it, it, you can't just, I can't just single out one. There's been several cities where the fans have always consistently been great and just ready for, you know, ready to, for that give and take relationship. Because the more, the rowdier the fans are, the more we're willing to kill ourselves. Yeah, no, I think it's true. Um, obviously, a lot of people believe, you know, the home of AEW was in Chicago, where it kind of all started at the Sears Center, which I think Chicago, in the indie scene as well, I was talking to a few people, that's a big a big city when it comes to the indie promotions, and a lot of people end up getting their opportunities and their first shots in Chicago. Any memories of the city of Chicago when, during your wrestling career? Any promotions that are kind of memorable that stand out? Well, I can't remember all of them, but uh, AAW, and then there was a split off from there called Blitz, um, well, of course, ECW, but I'm trying to think of the smaller, I can't remember them all, but they're, you know, like you said, even a lot of the smaller independents have always done great in Chicago. This was really interesting when I came across it, uh, not too long ago, but, and I think this is also something that I'd like to get your take on. So WWE superstar Kevin Owens is obviously using the stunner as one of his finishers. So I guess the question would be this, Jerry, the cradle pile driver. Mm-hmm. If you saw somebody or maybe somebody came up to you in AEW or another wrestling promotion and said, hey, I want to do this. I, I, knowing your personality, I, I think I know the answer to this, but is there any unwritten rule or anything that says this is something that I used? I don't want anyone else to use it, even though I'm not performing anymore. Or is it just, hey, you know what? Let it live on. And if you can take it to the next level, so be it. Oh, I'm done. If anyone wants it, they can have it. <laughs> the only time would be like if you're if someone from the same company or the same show that night you're working 
wants to use it, you know, that would be a different story. Because I had, uh, I did a show in Southern, it was, a, it was in Illinois, about an hour and a half south of Chicago. And Shark Boy told me, uh, after the first match was out there, he says, uh, did you see the first match? I said, no. He says, the very first move of the whole show was a cradle pile driver and the guy kicked out at one. He said, no tie up or anything, just a boot to the gut. And there was the cradle pile driver. And it was the first move of the whole show. And I thought he was ribbing me. And then at the end of the show, this guy comes up and says, uh, you don't mind me using your cradle pile driver, do you? And I was in shock. I didn't know what to say. And I, all I said was, well, uh, no, but don't let anyone kick out of it, let alone at one. But what I should have said was, shouldn't you be asking me before the show? <laughs> you know? Yes. But, yes. But. Well, the, the reason I find that to be so interesting is, and obviously tying this back to ECW, uh, there was a classic story that Sabu had a discussion with Paul Heyman that he, Sabu wanted to have the tables kind of be his thing, you know, when he would put somebody through a table. And then obviously Public Enemy comes in, they start using the tables, and then ends up being the Dudley Boys using the tables. So it, it, it almost in some ways became not watered down but sabu said if it happened every once in a while i wouldn't mind but not for someone to use it in their repertoire would you say and i think you just kind of answered it if you're wrestling and somebody wants to use your gimmick is that different than necessarily one of your finishing moves and if so how do you differentiate between the two i guess my for me my main concern would be just the finishing move right because you know when you look at it now it's like everyone does every move in the book even a shooting star press isn't rare anymore and it's just a transitional move or something even a you know moonsaults oh my god that's just that's almost like giving someone an arm drag you know moons everyone under the sun can do a moonsault and so it, there are certain things especially if it's your finisher but i would you know that you want to be special and you wouldn't want everyone using it yeah, I would assume, too, that a lot of people take their character very seriously. And I think that if there's certain things that are known to be done in your repertoire, you really wouldn't want somebody using that same shtick, if you know what I mean. Right, right. Because people come to see that, and they come to see you do that. And if other people start doing it before your time is, before your matches, it's almost kind of like it, it's been whored out a little bit, oh, for a lack of better words. Definitely. I mean, look at how many people give DDTs. But no one will ever get the reaction that Jake the Snake will get given a DDT. Same as when they had Arn hit the ring on one of our pay-per-views and give the spine buster. How many yes. different people you see give spine busters now? But no one will ever get the pop and the reaction that Arn gets when he hits it. Well, let's let's kind of go down that rabbit hole here. So when someone does a move like a DDT or a pile driver or a spine buster, you know, fill in the blank. What is it that that performer is doing? that separates them from everyone else doing it? Or is that just innate to who they are? It's just the way they do it. Well, back then, they were the only ones who did it, who did that particular move. Plus, back then, no one ever kicked out of it, unless it was on some special, very rare occasion. Mikey was talking about how nowadays it seems to be that a lot of finishing moves, whether it be Brock Lesnar's F5, whether it be... Roman Reigns, Superman Punch, or Seth Rollins, Curb Stomp, you're unfortunately seeing the performers do multiple multiple times before they end up getting the three count. Do you think in some ways, obviously you and I both agree, we wouldn't have seen that 20 years ago. Why is it now that they have to almost do it multiple times before it's effective? Um, 
because I think they're working harder to get the reaction and the pop on a false finish than they are for the actual finish. And I've, I've heard guys putting their matches together before years and years ago um, saying, yeah, they should really pop good on this falsie. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, but where are they going to be on the finish? Your main concern should be how are the people on the finish? Yeah, I, I think a lot of times false finishes can be great if it's continuing to build the intrigue to the end. Right. But don't do it so many times that by the time it's over, people are just glad it's over. Does well, that make sense? Yeah, well, that's a problem, too, because, you know, somewhere along the way, everyone thinks that every single match needs a 10-minute Japanese go-home with eight false finishes. And that's not right. the case, especially every match on a show. And, and maybe you'll agree with me on this one. There's a lot to be said for simplicity. Mm-hmm. And you don't need to reinvent the wheel. No. And if it's difficult for us to figure out and put stuff together and have it make sense, it, it's that much harder for the fans and to get them emotionally involved in it. When they, like you said, the simpler the better. This past week, uh, it was. I put this on social media, and I got a lot of people to react to it. But I wanted to get your take on this as well. It seems like, and this was kind of precipitated by the new Bray Wyatt championship belt. I don't know if you saw a picture of that. Yep. It's yeah. My take on that whole thing, Jerry, was that you know you had the Spinner belt, which was John Cena. You had the Brahma Bull belt, which was the Rock. You had Stone Cold's belt. I'm sure I'm I'm forgetting a few of them, but. What do you think about, and TNA had Jeff Hardy's, which we will completely try to forget that. That looks like something came out of a craft show. But what are your thoughts about something like that? Is it just coming from a marketing standpoint, or do you feel like people really do like the fact that there's all these different specialized belts? To me, they look like a bunch of toys. So it's like they're just creating more belts so they can sell more toys. I mean, if you, you know, what would be great is if, great, you make that belt that's just special for that one person like the bowl for the rock right if the company wanted to do that as a gift to him to take home and hang on his wall or something right but a lot of the belts don't even look like championship belts anymore it look like i said it looks like a toy that they've created so they can sell more stuff at the stores well and that that just kind of brings me to the the point of I guess it really does boil down to dollars and cents. If they mm-hmm. can find something to exploit marketing purposes and they're going to get people to buy it, then they're just going to go ahead and do it. To that's, me, it just that's seems... That's just it. it just like it's when just they big, came out with the... the I'm sorry. Just like when they came out with the... Instead of the black and white, but they came out with the, the black and red NWO merch. This is a business, first and foremost, about making money. Is what That's what pro wrestling is. But... It's a shame that they got to bastardize it so much where you, you know, in certain areas where the championship belt don't even look like a nice championship belt that someone would even be proud of showing everybody. Well, I tweeted a picture of the uh, the Bray Wyatt or Fiend belt, and I don't know. Maybe this is just me. Maybe I'm old school. Maybe I'm just cut from a different cloth, but it's kind of silly, in my opinion. Like... Really? Like if, 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 let's say Brock Lesnar defeated Bray Wyatt and won that belt and he's holding that up, that's pretty silly looking. Once again, it's just one man's opinion, but I think that, like you said before, it's a big money grab. And I guess WWE is actually selling a limited amount of these exact replicas with letter of authenticity. And I think they're going for something like $6,500. Really? And they're basically, yeah, no, no kidding. If you want well, to have the exact one. Oh my, if, you know, if I could afford it, I still wouldn't pay that much for a belt. 
no way. Not a chance in his lifetime. But do you have a favorite belt from any promotion or just one that you looked at and you said, man, that really does – that looks like a championship belt. Like I, that, that's one of your favorites. Probably that old uh, – what was the big one Flair was, would be had a lot? Just the, 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 the crumb rind, the big gold? Yeah, the big gold. Yes. A lot of people put that as their number one, and they put Winged Eagle um, as number two, which those two are very iconic looking. I talked to Mikey about this last week, and he was actually saying he didn't like the Winged Eagle. He liked the the Hogan 85 belt that uh, they made a supersized version for Andre, if you remember when Andre beat him on Saturday night's main event. So this is somebody that we haven't gotten a chance to talk about before, and I, I was kind of wanting to get your opinion on this guy. Elias. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I ever talked to you and Mikey about Elias. I am very high on Elias. I think he's got a really good look. I think he has a great uh, character about him. When did you first notice Elias, and what are your thoughts on him as far as his potential in wrestling? Because I think the sky's the limit for this guy. Oh, the guy's got a good look, and I was surprised that they actually put a guitar gimmick on someone who actually can play guitar. <laughs> but, um, yes. yes. <laughs> but no, he actually, he reminds me a lot of uh, Macho Man. Oh, I can see that. Yeah, WWE recently had Elias and Sheamus come back, and uh, they're both back in the mix. I'm a big fan of both of those guys, and I think the more you can put those two guys on the air, because they they not only are entertaining, but they also can wrestle really well, too. And I feel like wrestling sometimes, almost with WWE, gets put secondary. Well, there it seems like it is more important than the wrestling itself because, well, even like Vince said in that movie, he says, we're not a wrestling company. We make movies. Right. So a lot of times the entertainment part to them is more important. I think I think majority of the time it is because, well, I, I haven't watched a product in a long, long time, but it used to be all the matches were three or four minutes. That was it. And the rest of it was, you know, uh, pre-recorded segments or talking or promos in the ring, whatever. What are some guys, I might have asked this to you before, but what are some guys that you have seen that maybe aren't currently, you know, with a major promotion? Is there anybody out there that's floating in the independent worlds that you've come across that you've seen that you look at and you say, man, they definitely have what it takes, I think, to, they're not far away from signing with a big company. Anybody out there who might be floating around still? Oh, gosh, you caught me off guard there. (laughs) There's so much (laughs) great talent out there. And one one person that comes to mind right away is this Danny Duggan. Okay. Up in Canada. Because just the way he moves and stuff, he reminds me of Arn. Maybe even a combination of Arn and uh, Kurt Henning. Oh, wow. The reason why I bring this up here is because uh, there's a guy that I think you and Mikey both know really well. And that is Mr. Channing Decker. Decker Channing? That's right, Dexter (laughs) Channing. Well, he went ahead and he tweeted over the weekend. He said, the news has just broke. I'm thrilled to announce that I'll be traveling to Japan this January to promote or to compete, I should say, in my first tour with Big Japan. Beyond excited, thank you to everyone who has shown me love and support throughout my career. The reason why I want to bring this guy up is because I have watched a lot of his matches. This guy right now deserves a tryout in one of the major promotions, in my opinion. I haven't seen his work, to tell you the truth. I mean, I haven't. It's been an interesting year for me, so I haven't had a lot of time to do some homework and watch a lot of a lot of indie stuff. And because I still, uh, if there's a show near nearby and here at home, and I'm in the mood to go get a wrestling fix, I'll just show up just to watch it as a fan. So I just haven't had time to, you know, 
do a lot of research or anything or watch a lot of stuff. What are some things that maybe you would that you would look for in somebody? If someone asks you, hey, Jerry, will you watch my matches? Do you have like this fundamental checklist that you like to look at and you like to make sure that they're doing footwork right, tie-ups right, um, chain wrestling right? Like, Is there anything that stands out to you that you make sure that they hit upon? Like, These are the foundational-based, and then obviously you go from there? Oh, there's a lot. You know, there's uh, how they move, if they move smooth, or if it looks choppy, or... Um do they look, what, what's the word? Do they engage the crowd and get the crowd involved? Because a lot of people don't do that. I mean, for the longest time, I didn't do that. I wouldn't even look at the crowd. I was so shy. But that's a very important part. It's up to us to get the crowd involved. You may say, well, it's a dead crowd tonight. Well, it's your job to get them involved. So can you do that? Um, your timing. Um, uh, there's a lot of things. Uh, it's hard to explain them all, but you you know, watch it. And there's a lot of times too when I'm watching, I'm not, I'm there just for fun, just to enjoy it as a fan. But if there, there are certain things once in a while that'll stick out like a sore thumb, and I'll just go, ooh, <laughs> you know. But if, uh, you know, a lot of it's how they move, their body language, timing, positioning, ring awareness. There's a lot that goes into it. I feel like in a lot of ways, being able to be a good evaluator of talent is probably a very difficult thing. And I think that's why some of the the promotions, like we've heard WWE has a handful of people who will go out and go to different independent promotions and they'll scout people. Mm -hmm. Um, That's got to be tough too, because I mean, you see so many people and what differentiates one from the other? Do you know what I mean? When a lot of the repertoire seems to be, in this day and age, a lot of high-flying stuff. Yep. Like, what is it that sets somebody apart, maybe based upon their personality and their character, not necessarily the move set? Would you agree? Right. It's. I mean, when you're going out, like if I were a scout, I've seen every move in the book. So I don't care if you can do your triple Lindy or whatever. But I am going to watch how you work, how you sell, how you, you know, there's so many other things that you need to take into consideration that'll make you, instead of looking indie-rific, it'll make you look like a professional. I was watching a video that Al Snow did when he did a training academy, and he was talking about the art of selling. And I think you and Mikey have talked about this before, but in some ways that might be an art form that has been either overlooked or maybe not taken as seriously as it used to be. And Al would say something like, you know, we've all been kicked in the crotch. We've all been poked in the eye. You know, we all know how those things feel. And the fact that when they happen in the ring and people quote unquote recover quickly really kind of takes away from the fact that that was being done. Would you agree to some of those things as far as when it comes to selling that some guys, oh, something happened, but then all of a sudden 30 seconds later, they're recovered? Definitely. Uh, I was talking to someone about, uh, well, there was one time, I'll never forget it, I was wrestling RVD, and he had a cast on, I can't remember if he broke his hand or his wrist or whatever, but he went to punch me when I was sitting on the turnbuckle, and because of the cast, his thumb got jammed into my eye, at least up to the first knuckle, and I, I could not open my eye the rest of the match. So that taught me a very valuable lesson. If someone pokes you in the eye, keep that one eye shut the rest of the match. Wow. If it really happens, there's no way you're opening your eye. Right. And same with other things. I've seen so many matches where uh, the babyface can do all this flippity doo stuff, but the heel works his leg. 
So when it comes time for the baby face to have a little hope spot or a comeback or something, all of a sudden his leg is perfectly fine. So yeah, it does take it away. I mean, you know, and there's not enough, I think, thought that goes into selling and how to sell and when to sell what and to consider what has been done to you. Was that a portion of time in your training where they would say, all right, today we're going to work on this. Like would, would Brad Rangans work with you guys specifically on selling? Did he have a way that he, a belief system with selling or, or how was that approached when you were being trained? Well, yeah, Brad told me the first day at camp, he says, you want to learn how to be a good worker, learn how to sell. So selling was very important. So in camp, when we're selling, we were selling just as if you would be selling in front of a full arena of people. Just because then it becomes second nature. It just kind of happens naturally when you're in the midst of doing it because you've done it in front of 10 people and now you're doing it in front of 10,000 people. So it's it's just commonplace like taking your next breath. Yeah, yeah. I even sell getting out of the car <laughs> at Walmart or something. Yeah, but but that's a shoot, I guess, since I'm all, I'm all banged up and stuff. But yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, and I've the, seen, you the, know what's ridiculous? I've seen guys wrestle a match when they come back to the curtain then they fall over and start selling because they twisted their ankle or something. And I'm like, well, why weren't you selling it out there? Right. Instead of Use wait it. until after you get behind the curtain to sell it. I mean, and sell wow. it for real because you really got dinged. Absolutely. Man. Lost opportunities, my friend, but hopefully they will have learned from that. Um, this past weekend at WrestleCade, Arn Anderson was doing the Arn Show live. And I wanted to get your reflection on this. The question was asked to him, if you would have to pick four people to be the modern-day version of the Four Horsemen, this is what his answer was. Now, this was as if if Arn was going to be the J.J. character, okay? He said he would pick Cody Rhodes, Braun Strowman, Dash Wilder, and Scott Dawson. And a lot of people on social media were extremely happy with that, and they thought that he got it right on the money. So... And I can see Braun obviously being the heavy of the group. Obviously, Cody would be the flair version. And then obviously, Dash and Scott would be what Tully and Arn. So what are your thoughts about that, that Arn has to say? And would you have maybe a different version if you were creating the modern-day Four Horsemen? I'd have to think about it a while. But one person I would add, just as like years ago, didn't they have Baby Doll? I'd throw in I'd throw in Tessa. Oh man, she's so good. Just because of that plus of the, you know, the history, the family history there. Absolutely. Man, I mean, how cool would it be to have a Tessa Blanchard Charlotte Flair match and then have Tully and Rick there as well? I mean, yeah. Wow, that would be that would be something else. Um, last thing I do want to throw out here because I know a lot of wrestling fans are, are watching this. Uh, Marty Skrull is now a free agent. Marty, I just want to let that sink into everybody. Marty Skrull is now a free agent. Really? And I can't tell you, Jerry, and I know you, you, you can't say anything at all. I don't want you to say anything. How happy I would be and so many millions of people would be if we saw Marty Skrull walk out on AEW television. So oh, I, think Marty he, Skrull, I think he'd be a great asset. Oh my God, he's such a phenomenal talent, and the Villain Club is is just wow. But yes, he's a free agent, and I cannot wait to find out where he is going to next. 
Guys, if you're enjoying what we're doing, go ahead over to iTunes and go ahead and fill us out a review. Leave us a five-star review and leave us your comments as well. We have been climbing the iTunes podcasting charts in the genre of wrestling. We've been doing really, really well, and we really appreciate that. I've been talking to Mikey and Jerry about that, and we're holding our own. But you know what? The more support we get, the more reviews we get, the more comments we get, we continue to climb those charts. So remember... Your opinions absolutely matter. And if you'd like to go ahead and get some merchandise from Front Row Material, get some stuff from Mikey and Jerry, there's one place that you can go. Pro Wrestling Tees. Put their names in there. You can go ahead and get their shirts. And if you would like to also get some merchandise from Front Row Material, there's an easy place to go there as well. And that's shop.spreadshirt.com forward slash FRMPod. You just go to my page and click on the link. Anything else you want to share with us, Jerry? Any final comments, questions, concerns? Uh, I think that's it. I think that's it. I think we. I think we knocked it out of the park. We're missing Mike. I hope so. You know, I know. Have, it's, but it's, he, had know a, it's, he had a rough travel day. He did. Yeah. He had a lot going on. And I mean, if we know anything about Mikey and his travel, and especially when he when he went to Canada, holy hell, we are all in for a huge treat next week hearing about Mikey's stories from WrestleCade and his journeys back. Yeah. But for Mikey Whitbrick and Jerry Lynn, my name is Mike Friel and thank you so much for listening again this week. You've been listening to Front Row Material. We'll catch you next time. The world of MLW Radio never stops.